Welcome to the Dietitian's Dish Podcast. We are Gina and Nicole, two dietitian mamas and good friends living in Ohio and Michigan. This is a podcast dedicated to making whole family wellness more fun and less stressful. Whether you're listening in the car or slumped on the couch with a glass of wine, welcome. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us. I'm Nicole. And I'm Gina. And today we are dishing about sugar and sugar substitutes. Uh, but first, a little catching up. Gina, what's what's new and exciting? Okay, well, I have to ask, did you watch the season premiere of The Bachelorette last night? I didn't. I actually didn't even know it was on until I oh, went to go work on the show notes for tonight. And I was like, oh, Bachelorette. And then Mark was flipping through the channels and he saw. But what's her name? Claire. Yes. Okay. I like her. She was on... Juan Pablo season. Remember a long, long time. She's 39. So I think she's the oldest bachelorette that they've ever had. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I, I honestly didn't watch the whole thing. I'm, I go to bed so early. I can only ever watch half typically. And then I, I just listen to podcasts the next day, catching up on what's going on, which is super lame, but Hey, I got to get my bachelorette fix, but it was good. It was good. There's going to be a huge twist in the end, which I think we kind of already know what's going to happen. Basically, there was one guy that came out of a limo that she pretty much said to Chris right off the bat that that was the guy she was going to marry. Like, basically, she wanted to stop the show and just go with him. Of course, that didn't happen. But I'm guessing that something happens down, uh, you know, down the road in the season where she ends up not being able to really get into it with other guys because she's so fixated on this other guy. His name, I think, is Dale. Real good looking. Real good looking guy. Anyway, so that's that. Uh, Speaking of television, have you guys watched Chernobyl? No, but I have heard of it. Oh my gosh, it was so good. So it's on HBO. So if you don't have HBO, it's hard to see, obviously. I don't know if they'll release it anywhere else, but it's basically it's about the explosion at Chernobyl, which is in Ukraine, which was once a part of Russia. And it, I just, it was just so well done. Honestly, I didn't really know much about it. I mean, I wasn't alive. I think, well, actually, I was alive. I think it was like three or four when it happened. I really did not know much about the story. I knew that there was an explosion at a nuclear plant, but watching this, it was actually, you know, world history, which I hate. Um, but just really, really well done. Um, also uh, really difficult to fall asleep after watching a couple of the episodes because they were just really real. And to think that it actually happened, that this wasn't a made up story. This was actually nonfiction was true, truly just heartbreaking and scary, terrifying, especially considering, I don't know, just how our, our country is going right now. So anyway, I, I highly recommend it. Uh, let's see. I finished the good neighbor book that you recommended. I will say I gave it four stars and I'm not going to say why, but that's what I gave it. I did really enjoy it. I would recommend it. Um, it was one of those books that I could not put down, which to me, if I can't put a book down, that's a good book. You know, when I'm looking forward to reading it before I go to bed, that's a good book. And then lastly, we're just getting ready for camping trip. We're buying a bunch of stuff. We just bought a our actually my dad bought it for us an rtic cooler which is like this industrial strength um cooler that it's made by the people who make um yetis and it's just pretty bad ass it's i can't even carry it it's so heavy that i can barely which is actually one of the, the how cons, long are you guys going say. for we're going for one night. He didn't buy it just for oh, our camp. God. We can use this. We can use this anytime. It'll be we don't even have a cooler. This was perfect. It's a perfect little we, we needed this in our, um, we, we needed it for future, you know, 
all games or camping trips. But yeah, we're only going for one night. We were going to do two, but I figured I just wanted to give it, you know, a three-year-old and a six-year-old. I don't even know how they'll do. So, but I'm excited about it. What's new with you? Okay, just the recency effect. So I had a mole removed today on my face. Oh, oh, on your face. Okay. Gina, it was terrible. Mm. Absolutely terrible. Um, I look like Frankenstein. I just took off the Band-Aid and it's legit. I mean, it looks like a Frankenstein stitch. Wait, where Um, is it on your face? Like on my jawline, like maybe an inch above my jawline. Okay. Was it removed for vanity reasons or was it actually something that your dermatologist was was concerned about? Okay. So as I've been tossing around the idea of Botox, I said this to my (laughs) mother and she goes, well, first I deal with the mole on your face. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, (laughs) moms are the best. Noted. She listens to the show. I'm sure she'll love that one. She'll go, I didn't say it like that. But I mean, obviously I noticed the mole and I'm a little self-conscious of it in pictures. You know, like some people have a side, you know, I prefer to stand on the left because of my mole, but not to the point where I'd be, but not, I'm making it, I'm much more conscious of it after having people say something. And then today, so I go in for the, and she, anyway, the nurse practitioner who did the procedure goes, oh yeah, I'd want that removed too. And I was like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Oh jeez, Brutally honest. Yeah. So it it was just, it was a lot more than I was expecting, I guess. It was, I was booked into a 30 minute slot. It was an hour and 45 minutes. (gasps) I'm I'm pretty tender. Um, she, like she ended up prescribing like I needed an antibiotic. You know, she gave it to me in the office. Oh, I was prescribed Tylenol with Cody. Like I just thought wow. this was like a little no biggie, you know, in and out. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, was it, it how was, big was it? it? I mean, not like gargantuan, but it was pretty raised, I would say. Okay. Okay. Huh. Um. So you're currently talking to Frankenstein. Um. And on that note, we're also, you know, Halloween's on a, sun, a Saturday night this year or mm-hmm. Saturday. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been invited Mark and well, the family to one party and then Mark and I to a second party. Uh, so I think we're going to try and maybe do both. That sounds real COVID responsible. I know. Um, we'll see. I mean, most of these, um, yeah, we'll see. It's numbers are spiking here. I think a lot could change in the next, um, you know, week to 10 days here before Halloween, but we'll see. But I'm, I'm just brainstorming costume ideas. I don't know. I'll be honest. Halloween just is not my thing. Um, it's not mine either. So. Uh, true story. I've never with I've been together with Nick. I've been with Nick for 15 years. Not once have we dressed up. <laughs> I'm like pretty OK with that tradition. Yeah, it's, I don't, it's just not. Yeah, I, I'll dress up the kids. I get excited about it with the kids, but it's just not my favorite holiday. So I'm with you. Yeah, well. And also not my favorite holidays is like birthdays, I guess you could say. So we just got through like our family birthday season and my um, sister-in-law was joking like, how many birthday cakes have you guys had? And because we didn't do like a whole shebang with the kids, like last year, you know, Piper being in September, Shay being in October, we did like a combined birthday and just knocked them out. You know, one mm-hmm. day, two birthdays, one cake, did it. Since we've had like these micro celebrations, um, we've had multiple little cakes. So we're, we're through <laughs> cake season. Um, and just continued woes with school. So I must say, though the numbers are spiking in our community, um, Shay's school anyway has remained unscathed at this point. However, I'm still scratching my head as to how we are in public school now. It it was supposed to be a late start every other Wednesday, which by the way is 9.55 in the morning. 9.55. I'm like, that's like practically lunchtime, but okay. Anyway, that's really late. Okay, it is. So it ends up, it's basically every week. And so she had a late start day today. Today's Wednesday. Tomorrow is, is that right? Yeah. 
Thursday, half day of school. Friday, half day of school. Monday, the 19th, no school. Like, great. Awesome. Thank you. So <laughs> it's just hard. You know, I'm, I'm oh, very yeah. grateful that Mark's working from home and can kind of pinch hit in some of these things because it's just stressful. I don't know how parents do it. So yeah, this is why I'm not doing it. Like, I just couldn't, I would not be able to, to handle that. I, even though I have more of a, of a relaxed job at this point after the first month, the first month would have been absolutely not even possible when we got back to school where I work. Um, but yeah, even now, I, I don't know how, yeah, it's kudos to all the parents out there who are doing it. I am very thankful that we were able to afford sending my our children to a private school that actually allowed mm-hmm. um, all day class. Mm-hmm. I, I know that we are privileged. Um, so, yeah. It's just, yeah, like you said, kudos to working parents because it's a lot. Um, okay, so before we jump in, just a quick favor to ask if you're loving the show, which we hope you are, please write us a review. Reviews, reviews on iTunes are everything to us and really help us reach more people through the show. So we'd appreciate it so, so much if you take five seconds and do that. Um, so just kind of jumping into the topic today, um, we know a lot about sugar. We've talked some about it on the podcast. So just to kind of review um, the American Heart Association recommendations, which Gina, these are more stringent than the dietary guidelines for Americans, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the American Heart Association recommending no more than six teaspoons or 25 grams of added sugar per day for women, nine teaspoons or 38 grams a day for men. And as far as kids, um, three to six teaspoons or 12 to 25 grams. And of course, younger children are going to be at the lower end of that range, older children at the upper end. Uh, but right now, America is consuming on average 94 grams a day. So we're women at least, are, are, are nearly quadruple recommendations. So we thought, what more timely time to talk about uh, than, than now about sugar substitutes? So um, just to kind of make a note as well, and this is listed in the show notes, this was probably one of the most useful things I found in researching for the show. Um, Gina, you and I know sugar can show up on an ingredient list as one of many different names, uh, but there are actually 60 plus different names that uh, sugar can be disguised as on a ingredient list. So check out the show notes for that full list. Uh, most or I mean, obviously not a surprise to me, but I can see very clearly why this is such a difficult thing to kind of wrap arms around for the just for the general public. Well, I think what makes it more confusing for the consumer is so there might be 60 plus different types of, of sugars that can go on a label. But if a company uses 10, you know, different types <laughs> of sugar, they can sporadically list it throughout their ingredient list. So you look at it and think, oh, well, sugar isn't on the you know top five. Well, it's, you know, top, it, there's a type of sugar listed as tops, you know, but it's uh, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Yeah. yeah. You add it all together and it probably would make it, you know, number three. Uh, but you know, I will get into it. I don't necessarily look at, at that on labels. You can just find the information by looking at the added sugar, which is now on labels. So anyway, continue. Yeah, no, I it just, you know, and that's talking sugar and what we'll focus a bit more on today is really sugar substitutes. And so what are sugar substitutes? Uh, they are either non-nutritive. And when we say that we mean zero calorie or low calorie sweeteners that are produced in a lab or often sometimes in nature, but are processed certainly, again, that are negligible or lower in both energy calories, um, 
or carbohydrates and carbohydrates, I should say. So why so popular? Um, The market has quadrupled since the 1990s. So we know that consumers are purchasing these um, in mass, really. And, And we know that they can be helpful in reducing overall sugar or carbohydrate intake, particularly in diabetics. And so what what are these sugar substitutes? They're they're usually granular powdered liquid or brown sugar like sweeteners. So they'll often be listed um, as saccharin, aspartame. Um, I always butcher this one. I say acylfame, acylfame, <laughs> potassium, uh, a sucralose, which is Splenda, neotame, or advantame. Uh, advantame. Oh. Yeah, I know. Um, and then newer to the market are stevia and monk fruit. Um, do you call it monk, 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 monk fruit? Monk. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And so those are both are, are like, I guess you would say plant-based sugar substitute options. And so the question always arises as to whether these are safe. And what we know is that they are all FDA approved. Uh, however, we really don't know much about the long-term side effects. Um and I'll talk in a moment just kind of like why that is. Um, on the subject of sugar alcohols, however, I put those in a slightly they are sugar substitutes, but they are they are low calorie. They are not zero calorie. And so they're used in place of sugar by changing the configuration of a sugar molecule, making them only partially digestible. So when I'm teaching anyway, my patients, I usually say that you can account for about half as much carbohydrate or sugar as a as a traditional kind of table sugar. Um, With that, they can provide a lot of gas. So people who (laughs) um, sugar alcohols are often used in products that are labeled as sugar-free, but that does not mean that they are carbohydrate-free, calorie-free, or uh, free of um, adverse side effects if eaten in (laughs) some some quantities. Some people are very, very sensitive to these. Anything to add there, Gina? (laughs) Well, if you think about the FODMAP, Uh so the P in FODMAP is polyols, which is sugar alcohol. So yes, yeah. But I will say there are certain ones on the market. uh, I will say, I think it's like mannitol is the big one that tends to not cause as many problems, at least for me. And I think I'm a a good control uh, uh, person to use because I literally get gas when I eat anything. So yeah. yeah, mannitol, I think, is one of those that doesn't tend to have the same issues. But yeah, definitely the P and FODMAP. So if you're following a low FODMAP diet or you have IBS, just watch out for those all the alls. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anything that ending in that. So if it ends in O-S-E, O-S, it's a sugar. If it ends in O-L, it's a sugar alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you're looking at that ing- those ingredient lists, those are good uh, kind of are those called endings. That, that has a word. Is it suffix? I think it is. Maybe it is the I don't know. The last letters of a word. Look for those. Yeah. O's the ending. The ending. Um, English was not my thing. Um, so in of note, I guess you could say, in 2012, the American Diabetes Association and the American Heart Association issued a joint statement saying that the use of low-calorie sugar substitutes in moderation and in place of sugar is one tool available to help with blood glucose management and weight loss. Um, and obviously those are being, those are two huge medical bodies that are, are pretty, um, well-funded, well-researched. Um, and, and that's probably one of the biggest, um, research-based statements that is used in support, I guess you could say, of sugar, sugar substitutes and sugar alcohols. Mm-hmm. 
So why don't we know a bit more about the safety of these and um, since they're not new to the market? And what we know is that research results about potential consequences of regularly consuming sugar substitutes substitutes have been inconsistent. And, we, and this is partly because they're sold. Um, there are so many different sweeteners mm-hmm. to study. And also because, of course, sugar substitutes make up only one part of a person's dietary habits. And for instance, research will show that individuals who drink low-calorie beverages that contain sugar substitutes are also more likely to eat pre-made meals and fast food. Um, so there's a lot of research that goes into just looking at food food habits uh, um, and dietary habits of people who consume certain products and, and sugar substitutes being one of those. In addition, we know that people trying to lose weight might disproportionately select more artificially sweetened or low-calorie products. Um, so unless research can really account for all of those variables, sugar substitutes kind of continue to be somewhat of a mystery and can also get blamed for health risks that may stem from lifestyle habits or diseases such as um, obesity or living in a larger body, right? You know, we're trying to stray from that word a little bit. Um, <laughs> Wait, hold on. Going back to the to this, uh, studies, mm-hmm. are, I wouldn't you say that also a lot of the, the studies that kind of scared people, especially with um, like saccharin, were on rats? And they fed the rats like a ridiculous amount of these things, an amount that no human being would ever be able to consume anyway. Mm-hmm. I remember reading that as well. So yeah, they do the human studies, which obviously have some um, some issues that you just described. But then there's also the rat studies where they're typically giving these gigantous amounts that no one would ever even be able to consume anyway. Right. So that's another yeah, thing. Yeah, we actually had that in our like education materials where I work. Um, obviously, I think, most people listening to the show probably know I work primarily with the diabetic population. And the when we talk about food and additives and and just nutrition in general, we have what's called upper limits where we look at, we know how much potassium, let's say, um, has an upper limit. We know potassium ha- can cause dysrhythmias and, you know, things, racing, all of that. So we, we know that we have upper limits for certain nutrients. Um, when we look at the upper limits for things like aspartame, which is probably the most well-researched sugar substitute, like you said, the upper limit is something like, it, don't quote me, but it's it's in the hundreds of cans of diet soda a day. Like I want to say it was like three to 600 cans a day. It, it was the equivalent of what they studied in rats. It's like, yeah. well, geez, if I was <laughs> drinking three to 600, whatever, it doesn't matter. Say it's a hundred. That's insane. Like that. Yeah. So the amount of aspartame that would be found in that many sodas, because obviously Correct. if you drink that many sodas, you die from overhydration. <laughs> <laughs> you would drown. Oh my gosh. Just <laughs> the research is just, we ended up taking it out of our education materials because we were trying to just use science. But at the same time, that's a very confusing message. Like our message now is like yeah. water, right? Um, yeah. We right. talk about sugar substitutes, but Okay, I'm I'm going off on a tangent. We're we're on a mission tonight, Gina, to make this 45 minutes or less. We are, we are. <laughs> our, our missions that always fail. All right. So when we when we look at sugar substitutes, though, there are three very well established arguments against the use of them. The first being that they can elicit an insulin response. We'll talk more about that. They can number two, they can condition our taste buds to kind of crave added sweets, more sweets, sweeter foods, and Three, they provide perhaps permission to eat or drink more energy, um, eat or drink more energy or calories elsewhere in the diet. So with those three kind of arguments in mind, do you fully agree? And which do you think is most valid? 
Yeah, I think that the easiest one to validate is the insulin response one because you can actually objectively validate that one, whereas the other ones are very subjective. And really, though, to me, the insulin response one doesn't even seem like it'd be, it could be physiologically correct, like that would even happen. But I don't deny it's true. I've seen the research. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can definitely understand that our body gets tricked into thinking that we are consuming X amount of calories but then we never consume those calories. So our body thinks calories or sugar are coming in, but then it never does. But our body still is prepared. So it produces the hormones and enzymes such as insulin or insulin's a hormone to get ready for those calories. So as far as the other two, I mean, I would definitely agree with them as well. I can say that I've experienced, especially the third one, just playing mental games with myself and saying, oh, that last thing I ate was zero sugar. So I'm going to eat this because I deserve it. You know, this this has a little bit of sugar in it, but it's okay because I just ate this last thing, but it was really low sugar because I use a sugar substitute. Um, but again, I think the, the one that's easiest to validate um, objectively is the insulin one. What about you? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I definitely, I, I kind of live this day in and day out. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I find validity to all of them. But I, I think for me, the taste bud thing is the biggest concern. Um, just because we know that sweetness is one of the receptors on the tongue that is universally mm-hmm. enjoyed. That's why we see, um, you know, as, as other countries gain access to things like soda, we see health decline. Um, but we also know that that can stimulate appetite. Um, and so, you know, I think, too, because I listen to what people eat on a very regular basis and can kind of use that information and and just interview of our time together it, there's just a lot of validity to, I would say, the use of sugar substitutes and uh, just the preference for m- just more sweet foods and drinks in the diet. And I think sparkling water is a great example. I, It's interesting to me that some people find it so highly offensive while other people's people just like really like the taste. And it seems like people who are coming from the like replacing a diet soda with a sparkling beverage. And I'm not saying this is always the case, but um, I, I find that th- that's often where people struggle. It's not going from water to sparkling water or tea to sparkling water, but it's going from something sweetened to sparkling water that it it's a mess for most people. You mean sweetened with a, a sugar al- or uh-huh. a sugar, uh, sugar substitute? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Additionally, with, with this insulin response that we get um, from the sugar substitutes, too much insulin can cause leptin, which is another hormone in the body, to to stop doing its job, which leptin's job is to keep us feeling full. And so mm-hmm. the reason insulin blocks leptin is because the insulin is telling the fat cells to store energy, um, resulting in weight gain. So again, that's kind of like a, a sciencey kind of response. But we know about more and more providers, I would say, are getting used to drawing insulin levels on people and looking at the adverse effects of having high insulin levels um, in the body. So, um, yeah. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, Gina, do you use sugar substitutes? And if so, which ones and how do you incorporate them? Yeah. So I do not use them, at least not deliberately. I will say in the past I have used and really actually quite enjoyed stevia or sometimes even Truvia, which is also from the stevia plant. It's just another part of the stevia plant. The Truvia is. Uh, I've used it to add sweetness sweetness to things such as, I don't know, I I would even put it on my yogurt or a parfait or top of my cereal, which is real strange. But uh, I will definitely say that was back when I had a very poor relationship with food and I felt the need to watch my carbs and calories at all costs. And I probably just, I was definitely um, 
not enjoying desserts like I do now for sure. Therefore, I felt like I needed to get my sweetness somehow. And that's how I got it with that stevia and truvia or, you know, light and fit yogurt instead of regular yogurt, stuff like that. So I, like I said, I was depriving myself of sugar in many ways. So I craved sugar and that's how I got it. I will say in the long run, I, I know it did not help. You know, looking back now, I, I know it wasn't, it, it was not helpful for me at all. Uh, I So currently I don't go out of my way to avoid non-caloric sweeteners on ingredient labels. So I'm never like scouring the food label to see if there's, you know, non-caloric sweeteners or even sugar alcohols. I really don't even look that much to avoid those. Mm-hmm. I will say though, there are certain foods that we have in our in our kitchen that we do purchase regularly. Um, and if I do notice that a food that we purchase regularly has a non-caloric um, sweetener or an artificial sweetener, even if it's a natural sweetener like stevia, I do try to consciously look for other options because like you said, even though the, the a lot of these have been around for so long, the research is still really in its infancy. And I'm just not convinced that something down the road will say they aren't good for us, especially I would say the non, non-plant-derived ones. Mm-hmm. If I had to choose a favorite though, like I said, non-caloric sweetener, it would be stevia. A good example though, I will say, I know that there's a couple things that I've noticed recently that we consume a lot of that have artificial sweeteners in them. The one is our sugar-free ketchup. I truthfully did not even realize that they, they had added another sweetener in it. I thought they just took the sugar out. I Maybe that was a dumb thought, uh, but they add stevia. Or I'm sorry, not stevia. They add um Splenda to it, which I am not a huge fan of, but really we don't use that much of it. So I'm not too, too concerned. But the one that I was really concerned about was I noticed that the Fair Life chocolate milk that we buy also uses Splenda. We drink that on a regular basis. And that one surprises me. Yeah. Well, and then I just noticed recently that they switched it for monk fruit uh, extract. So that's much better. I am much happier with that. Again, it's more mm-hmm. natural. It's actually from a plant. I It doesn't, it, it just seems a little bit more innocuous to me. So mm-hmm. and maybe it's all in my head, but because it's natural, it doesn't bother me as much as Splenda, which is even more new than a lot of the other sweeteners. And I'm still not convinced it's 100% safe, but there's nothing to that. I'm just, I'm just, I don't want to be a guinea pig, I guess. I'm with I you. Did, Right. I also, I just remember this. I used to use that Splenda for baking when I made mm-hmm. anything. And I remember one time, the first time I used it, I, I made cookies, like chocolate chip cookies. And I thought it was a one-to-one ratio of the, the Splenda brown sugar to regular brown sugar. Well, no, you're supposed to use half the amount of brown sugar. So I made these cookies. They were so sweet. But of course, in my mind, I'm like, oh, they're so good. But you know what? They're less sugar. So I'm going to eat like five of them. My mom was eating them too. I don't know if she remembers this, but I bet she does. And then I realized that I had totally screwed it up and used twice as much as I was supposed to. So it probably, I mean, it defeated the purpose entirely. (laughs) So make sure if you are going to do that, you read the instructions first. That's funny. What about you, Nicole? Uh, I'm pretty sensitive to all sugar substitutes. Um, I will, I will, I would say um, like non-nutritive sugar substitutes, particularly those Unlike, not plant-derived, I guess you could say. So I think of aspartame largely um, because mm-hmm. it's it's just most readily used in products. Um, aspartame is is what's in the majority of diet sodas, diet products, low-calorie, sugar-free, that type of stuff. Um, 
sugar alcohols do pretty well with. However, I don't eat them in excess. I don't look for them or seek them, but I do not avoid them. Whereas I do avoid um, other sugar substitutes. Um, they just kind of s- slip into certain products uh, like Built Bars. And I'm talking sugar alcohols there. But I get screaming headaches now with aspartame, which is just super ironic because I lived in on Diet Coke in college. I drank a lot of Diet Coke in college. Um, but I would say my go-to's... Uh, like sugar substitute would be a stevia sugar alcohol combo, something like Truvia, which is the Coca-Cola product, or Purevia, which is the Pepsi product. So it's um I just think that it it has more of that granular texture, which I like better than the powdered um mm-hmm. type of texture. Uh, but I do avoid them for my kids. So our nanny, bless her heart, was giving them the um, what are those? The tall skinny bottles. They're called like um Oh, ice drinks, I think they're called. Ice? I, I've never heard of them. Um, it, It's basically like Crystal Light. Um, and oh, okay. I, I just, and Mark's, I'm shocked, very passionate about it. He's like, nope, they don't need that. I'm like, good, excellent. We're on the same page. Um, <laughs> Yeah. So anyway. That's right. I, I was just looking. When you said that, that Truvia also has sugar alcohol, it has the erythritol, mm-hmm. with, which Correct me if I'm wrong, but that is actually a plant-derived sugar alcohol. I'm pretty sure. I kind of forgot about that because it also does not give me stomach issues. And I'm pretty sure it's derived from plants. Can you verify that? We'll need to verify that. Yes, you you continue. Okay, I'll continue. Um, So just just a quick stat. Um, So people who ate... 25% or more of their daily calories in the form of added sugars were twice twice as likely to die of heart disease over the course of 15 years as compared to those who got less than 10%, which is the the recommendation of calorie percent of calories from added sugars, regardless of weight. um, And that study was published in uh, the journal JAMA, um, Internal Medicine. So I don't know, Gina, if you're looking, but, um, you know, the question is what, what's your best advice in reducing added sugar in the diet? And if you're still looking up erythritol, I can. No, it's fine. I am still looking it up, but I think what I'm finding is it is actually naturally found in certain foods, but it's also often commercially made. So it might not actually be naturally produced, although it can be found in nature. (laughs) So I wonder what, what Truvia uses. But anyway, it doesn't give me stomach upset. I will say that. That's another one that seems to not cause me problems as someone with IBS. Yeah. You mentioned mannitol, but I've heard a lot more about erythritol being well tolerated. Erythritol as well. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yes. And there are a couple others out there. Actually, if you if you download the FODMAP app, you can you can get a good list on there. But yeah. Uh, all right. So I have a lot to say about this. I would say that my thoughts are that this finding had a lot less to do with the sugar itself, um, but more about the foods and nutrients that were not consumed because of their displacement by the sugar-laden foods. So if one-fourth of our diet is from foods high in sugar, especially added sugar, uh, we're likely not getting enough fresh fruits and vegetables, whole grains, lean proteins, and my guess would be that that's probably what hurt these people more than just the actual sugar. Uh, I used to strongly advise clients. This is this is one of those things where I, I look back and I kind of cringe, but I used to strongly advise 
clients to count their added sugars, you know, to, take, to keep track of how many added sugars you're getting per day. And even, you know, with your kids, keep track of how many added sugars they're, they're getting in their diet per day. But in my years of practice as a dietitian, I've learned that that can backfire. And truthfully, I believe it's another diet-centered method to control weight and it's just not being intuitive. If you're counting anything, it's just not being intuitive. And it's going to take away from the enjoyment of food. Uh, now I simply suggest aiming to get most of your calories from whole fruits, vegetables, grains, and protein products. In other words, less processing, no counting of anything. Uh, I'm not saying to avoid anything ever, although I think I, I did used to say, use the word avoid way too many times. I say simply to be more mindful of building your diet around whole foods with minimal processing, like I just said. And if you can buy something in a lower sugar form, uh, without preferably a non-caloric sweetener, if it just has the natural sweetness from the ingredients in the product, I say do it. Look for those products. But as long as, there's a really important caveat here, as long as you enjoy the taste and you aren't depriving yourself of good flavor just for the, you know, less sugar label. An example might be a low sugar ice cream or a halo top, which for me personally, like <laughs> I just think, to me, that doesn't make sense. Now, I am a little bit biased because I do love ice cream, but I would never go out and look for a lower sugar ice cream because I probably would would eat twice as much thinking, oh, it's lower sugar and I wouldn't enjoy it as much versus getting a full fat, heavy sugar ice cream that I enjoy every bite of and just managing, you know, eating less, uh, but not being, of course, fixated on that. Lastly, another uh tip that I have is when you're making recipes at home, especially ones that don't include baking or, you know, baking soda, you know, muffins, things like that. Sometimes you can't change the amount of sugar because the science, you're going to ruin it. But there are things that you can actually reduce the sugar in, such as pancakes or sauces. You know, if you make like a, um, a red sauce for pasta and it calls for sugar, just add half. I made a slow cooker, you know, barbecue chicken yesterday and it called for, I think, a quarter of a cup of barbecue sauce. I just put or I'm sorry, a, a, a quarter of a cup of uh, brown sugar in addition to a bottle of barbecue sauce. <laughs> well, I bought the, the the barbecue sauce that has the least amount of sugar in it without any added, um, added uh, non-caloric sweeteners. And then I added half the amount of sugar that it called for. And it turned out delicious. It was still fine. So wherever you can, you know, kind of manipulate the amount of added sugar you put in your things without ruining the science, uh, do it. Mm -hmm. What about you? I love your answer. I, and it's funny. I actually don't mind Halo Top at all. I think it's oh, pretty darn gosh. good. Um, but I am not an ice cream snob at all. Uh, okay. um, <laughs> yeah. And I'm kind of like a, a two bite and good unless it's a uh, soft serve. I love soft serve. Um, mm -hmm. But when I listen to the statistic about, you know, 25% of calories coming from added sugar, I immediately think of sugar, sweet, su sugar sweetened beverages. I think I just find mm -hmm. it highly oh, yeah. unlikely that there's a diet where 25% or more of the calories were coming from sugar in the absence of sugar-sweetened beverages. So to your point, Gina, sugar often intake often aligns with like diet, just diet quality, you know, displacing fruits, vegetables, things, um, which also correlates often with socioeconomic status. So my advice when um, for a lot of people, and I, I think, again, probably more of my patients here, but, you know, everybody is probably looking at how much money they're spending on you know, groceries at least. Um, but I would say save the money or the the, the energy on on beverages and drink free in in all in all the ways, free water, um, mm -hmm. and invest that money um in and sugar in fruits, vegetables, beans, sugar, whole grains, all of that. And I did this with a patient once. He drank um, you know, 40s of beer. I don't know why. 
But he would always say, I don't have the money. I don't have the money. I can't buy fruits and vegetables. I don't have the money. And he, when we, whenever I would talk about his beer, he would say, well, it's only $2. Da, 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 da. And I'm like, yeah, but you're drinking four a day. Uh, you know, that's of nine. Four forties. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Oh my. Okay. No judgment. I'm just, wow. Okay. There was a problem for sure. Um, yeah. Or maybe there were the tall boys. It doesn't matter. So, some, he was drinking approximately $8 a day in beer. And I just did the math for him. Like every month when I would see him, I'm like, but that is, you know, if you take $8 times 30, I'm like, that's how much money you've spent since I last saw you. Like think of how many canned goods you could buy at Aldi for 49 cents a can. And he like, he would be mind blown. Of course, nothing. I shouldn't say of course, but nothing changed because there was a bigger problem there with, right. with addiction. Right. But yes. my point being, um, for somebody who is looking to who has a a sugar intake that is excessive because of their beverage selections and going to water is not a one and done like that's just not going to happen for them i do think that like the use of of like diet sodas or whatever would be a good like transition point to move them that way um i don't know that's probably one instance, but I think it has to be one of those things where you're not just displacing one one kind of crutch for another, if you will. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, yeah. So, how to reduce sugar? Really focus on water. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> drink water. Drink Done. water. I know, such a <laughs> sexy answer. Um, <laughs> everybody disconnects from the podcast. Okay. <laughs> So, Gina, do you think that diet beverages, uh, diet soda, sugar-free juice beverages, even sugar-free sports drinks are a useful tactic? I guess I just kind of answered this for myself. But um, Uh do you think that they're a useful tactic in getting people to drink less soda and juice? Yeah. I think it really depends. If you throw sparkling water in there, I would say absolutely. I am not someone who would ever recommend if you're drinking full calorie, regular sugar Coke, for example, to switch to Diet Coke. Like I would never do that. So we differ there. Oh, do you? Or do we? Yeah. Now, I don't work with the diabetic population, but mm -hmm. I just, I I would just work on getting them to just reduce it altogether Mm -hmm. and, and yeah, and find something else like water or sparkling water. Now, I know what you just said earlier about how I don't know if this is actually scientifically um, validated, but how people who drink soda have a hard time generally don't enjoy the non, the non calorie, Mm -hmm. just plain old sparkling water. Uh, but I've actually found I have some friends who who have switched to sparkling water like bubbly or LaCroix um, from a soda, whether it's diet or regular. So I don't know. I mean, I think it really obviously it depends on the person. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do think that diet sodas are a good choice for people who would otherwise choose regular full sugar drink and they and they just refuse like they they how would I explain this? I've known some people who just flat out refuse to reduce their, their pop intake. And I keep going back and forth from soda and pop. I, I use both words, I think. And for example, I, I, I knew someone who was drinking five regular Coca-Colas per day. I, you know, I, I have to say I, in that case, it's, I think to myself, well, they probably would be better off drinking the diet soda, but then ultimately I think that their goal should be to just get rid of it altogether. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, make it your goal to do half and half, drink half regular and half. It depends on the person. Anyway, I'm getting off topic. Um, Cause I've, I, I have dealt with this quite a bit in, you know, as a dietitian, uh, like I said, I, I wouldn't recommend diet soda in the, in the amounts that some people consume. You know, when I talk to people and I hear that they're drink drinking, you know, a pack a day, you know, six or wow. 12 cans a day. 
I, I know a couple, a couple people like that. I'm just mm-hmm. like, oh my gosh. Now I can't tell you that it's necessarily bad for you because I don't really know, but, and it's not just about the sugar or the non-caloric sweetener, the other, you know, the colorings, the additives, everything in there. I just can't imagine that's, that it's good. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that people play mind games with themselves and say, quote unquote, it's diet. So I can drink however much I want which I really don't think that they would do if it was a regular um, full of sugar drink. Most of the time, I don't think that they would. I think people are better able to monitor themselves when they're drinking full calorie Coke or Mountain Dew or whatever it is versus diet. I think they tend to drink more of it because it's diet. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that the drink market really could do a better job at making some tasty drinks that are not only lower in sugar, but also free of artificial sugars. Really, the only ones that I'm well aware of are the hint waters, which are not sparkling. So if you don't like the fizz, a hint water would be good. Uh, sparkling waters like LaCroix or Bubbly. Also, Dasani makes a sparkling water, but I think that theirs actually might have an artificial sweetener in it, but maybe not. So they're, they're, no, no, no. The, oh. um, the Dasani, Dasani oh, has a sparkling oh, yeah. water. Mm-hmm. I don't think it does. But I, th- I think that there there is really um, some opportunity there with the with the drink market. I'd, I'd like to see that start to explode. The non the no non caloric uh, sweeteners, just right, just fizziness and a, an essence of some type of type of natural flavor, or even just flat like hint. Uh, but again, no non caloric sweeteners. I, I want to see more of those. Mm-hmm. Um, just simple and delicious is what I wrote on there. What about you? That was a long answer to a. <laughs> Relatively yeah, easy question. I accidentally answer, answer this question in my last response. But yeah, I think rather than replacing, I think putting the emphasis on reduction of all of the above. Water, tea, coffee, sparkling water. Yeah, Tea, Woo-hoo. that's a good one. Yeah. Absolutely, tea. Actually, Nick, since he stopped drinking alcohol, has um, started drinking tea, actually, which, you know, if we'll, go, we'll go out to dinner and he'll have it, you know, in a big glass with a little, you know, lemon or lime and he mm-hmm. feels cool, so... It can be good for weaning off of alcohol or of weaning off of diet soda or regular soda. I mean, I just understand needing something other than water. I'm definitely in that camp. Um, so I totally get yeah. it. Me too. Uh, so mom win five favorite new product. I'll go first because my yes. mom win is aha water. Have you heard of it? Mm-hmm. I've had it. I've oh, you've had, had it. it. And I will say, <laughs> no, I don't love it. Which one did you have? Okay, so I've only tried the pomegranate blueberry. Very good. Okay, I think I had that one. Ew, see, it tasted very, it tastes, wait, remind me. Are there um, non-caloric sweeteners in there? No. I feel like there are. No? Are you sure? Because no, it's very I'm not sweet. sure. Okay, oh. I think you need to verify that. Because to me, it I'm was looking. very, it tasted artificial, um, which is why I did not like it. And there's also some caffeine in there, correct? Oh my gosh, what was I drinking today? No sweeteners, no sodium, no calories. Yeah. Okay. Blueberry pomegranate. I'm on their website. Uh, Uh, Maybe I'm thinking of something different, but I'm pretty sure I'm not. It's made by Coca-Cola. No idea. And it's in a big can. No, it's not a big can. It's a normal size can. Okay. Well, I I got the big cans. I guess they do have. Okay. So this is interesting. Carbonated water and natural flavors. Okay. So they also have one. I've not tried this one. So it's, it's the same drink. It's AHA, but it's in a taller can and it's caffeinated. Oh. And I want to say that there's also some type of a continue on with. I'm going to keep looking into this. Continue on with your next. Uh, okay. Well, I just verified that the one I had did not have caffeine or sweeteners. Um, and then the other thing. Okay. So my coworker 
um, is a big Aldi freak like me. And um, we talked about on our protein bar episode. That was, oh my gosh, episode 20, 21. It was a long time ago, but we did the protein bar and we love the perfect bars. So they have a pumpkin pie perfect bar. So good. Out of stock everywhere, even on their website. So there's a mom win. Drop the bomb. Can't find it. (laughs) So keep your eyes out. You know, I feel like I might have tried it last year. I want to say that my student, Casey, we Uh love Casey, brought one in for me and I tried it and I didn't necessarily love it. Mm. I didn't hate it. I ate it. It wasn't my favorite. I'm pretty sure she did. And she's going to text me when she hears this and let me know if she did. But I'm I'm almost 100% positive I tried it once. Um, so anyway. Okay. So you're correct. It looks like there are no, it's just natural flavors, which is really surprising to me. I, I'm still huh. not convinced, but <laughs> whatever. Okay. You weren't a fan. Okay. I, well, yeah, taste buds are different. So exactly. Maybe if you don't like LaCroix or Bubbly, you'll like, aha. I don't know. Yeah. Aha. aha. All right. So for me, the, do you guys have Donato's where you are? Okay. So Donato's is a local, it's not local. It's, I, I feel like it's probably other places in uh, the United States, but outside of Ohio, uh, I know it is because she was, the owner was on that, um, that uh, secret boss show. What's it called? Oh, uh, Undercover Boss. Thank you. Undercover Boss. So anyway, not Donato's. Nick hates Donato's. I love it. They have a cauliflower crust pizza now. And I just, actually one day Nick was like, they have a cauliflower crust and also a, like a, with uh, a, like a veggie based sausage. Okay. And Nick was like, let's try that. And I said, okay. I never really would have thought that he would have even wanted to try it. It was so good. Oh my gosh. And our, my kids devoured this pizza. Now I will say cauliflower crust. It was probably 25% less carbs than the regular crust. So you would think, oh, it's made of cauliflower. No, it's probably still 75%, you know, flour. And then the rest cauliflower. So I wouldn't say that you're getting any benefits from, you know, fiber from the cauliflower, but it was, it was really, really tasty. And, and I think that was a benefit because he usually doesn't eat Donato's pizza and he loved this. So (laughs) if you do have a Donato's pizza around you, I would highly recommend it. And then the vegan sausage was also super tasty. Yeah. All right. Let's read a review here. All right. This one is from Lacey B44, one of my favorites. This is definitely one of my favorite podcasts I listen to. Short and sweet. Thank you. We love it. All right, everyone. So coming up on October 25th, we will be dishing out another Q&A episode. Until then, keep in touch with us on social media at Dietitians Dish Podcast on both Facebook and Instagram. And check out all of our episodes and show notes on our website, dietitiansdishpodcast.com. Also, please tell your friends about us. They can find us on numerous outlets such as Overcast, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Pocket Cast. If you listen on iTunes, be sure to leave us a review. We promise it only takes a few seconds. All right, Nicole, until next time. And everyone, be well. Nicole, we'll talk to you soon. Here's you know. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening for the podcast. Bye-bye.